Macworld Podcast, number 13, November 2nd, 2005. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Saruz Faravar. I'm back from vacation, and I wanted to first of all thank one of my bosses, Jason Snell, for doing a great job on last weeks, not really last weeks, but two weeks ago's podcast. He was able to cover for me while I was out traveling in Turkey uh, on vacation, and I had a great time. But I'm glad to be back. There's so much that's been going on while I was gone. There's the new dual-core G5 Power Max. There's the brand-new video iPods that came out right before I left for vacation. There's the new Aperture stuff, all kinds of new stuff that's been going on, and we've got it all covered at Macworld.com. Make sure you go and read our product reviews, our full analysis that's all up there. I'll have that linked up in the show notes, but make sure you read that so you can get all of the information ready to go. To start things off, I wanted to, first of all, point your attention in the December issue to our gear guide. We have a wide collection of potential gear, maybe possible gifts for the holidays if you want, or maybe just something you know you see that you like that you want to get for yourself. We've got a whole bunch of stuff there. Ranging from headphones to, you know, for music stuff, we've got stuff for just regular 9-to-5ers. We've got stuff for, you know, people with children, all kinds of things. So make sure you look at that. And I wanted to dive right in and point your attention once again also to our virtual CD, which I'm the director of, so I have a little bias in this. I produce the virtual CD that comes standard with every issue of Macworld. So if you're a subscriber or you pick it up off the newsstand, make sure you check in the early uh, first few pages. This month it's on page six. We've got the link to the virtual CD. And on this month's virtual CD, I'm starting a new feature that I call Sarusa's Corner. This is to replace a video segment that we had on there called Breen's Bungalow. Chris Breen will no longer be doing that. Uh, he'll be doing other things from Macworld as he has been doing in the past, but he won't be doing video for the CD anymore. So I'm doing it now, and please check it out. I would love to hear your feedback, and I am going to be looking at some of the gifts that we have, or excuse me, some of the gear that we have in this month's gear guide. And I just highlight a few of them, and myself and one of my coworkers, Jonathan Seth, our senior news editor, look at some of the gifts and show them to you in video form. One of my favorite ones that I show in the video, and is also, I've got a little, you know, paragraph long article on page 70 of this month's issue, is the Power Squid made by a company called Power Century. And it's this really great device that, you know, splits out in various, you know, because like your normal power strip, you know, is just a rectangle and you've got different AC adapters, excuse me, you've got different power outlets along the power strip, but if you've got one of those, you know, like say you've got a printer or a scanner or something like that, and it's got one of those huge AC adapters that don't really fit, and they block off, you know, one or two extra extra outlets, and that's really annoying, and so you need more, you know, plugs, and you're, you always, you know, are in a shortage of plugs. Well, so what these guys did is they took the idea of the squid, and they took the power strip, and they put them together, so you have different power outlets literally splitting off of the main wire and so you can plug in even a big huge AC adapter and it won't block the other ones and it's pretty neat. Um, so that's one of my favorite ones and that's really cheap. You can get that at thinkgeek.com uh, for $15. Um, so I would say that's definitely something cool to have. Uh, and we've got that, as I said, on the Sarusa's Corner video on the virtual CD and in this month's uh, issue of Macworld. So please go and you know check those out and let me know what you think. I wanted to also talk a little bit about some of the gifts that I wrote about 
I was assigned to write about gifts for geeks, and being you know a geek myself, I love looking for for new and you know geeky stuff to get uh, for people. So unfortunately, you know, as much as I would like, uh, not all readers of Macworld are as geeky as me, or as geeky as I would like them to be. So my editors, in their infinite wisdom, decided to cut some of my little blurbs about the geeky items that I had chosen for this month's gear guide. And the only one that they kept was the power, power squid. Um, so I wanted to just spend a, a little bit talking about some of the other ones that I picked and where you can get them and how much they cost and, and why I think they're cool. I would say definitely number one is the power squid. Number two, fun thing, is a little USB-powered mini aquarium. There's all kinds of really wacky USB devices out there. Um, there's, you can get like a rice cooker I've seen. You can get, you know, a clock. This one is just a really tiny aquarium, and it plugs right into your USB port, right on your Mac, and you fill it with water, and it's got these little plastic fish, and it's got a little fan that circulates, and so it looks like the fish are moving, and it's got a little glow light that you can use as a night light too or whatever. It's super cheap. It's like 20 bucks. Uh, you can get it from thinky.com. We'll have all these linked up in the show notes, so don't bother uh, writing down URLs and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so that's number two, I would say. Uh, number three would be something that's just very functional. It's, you know, it's, uh, doesn't look that cool, but, you know, it works really well. And everyone who's ever opened up their Mac or, you know, is putting in new RAM or doing any kind of repairs or anything like that will definitely need to have this on hand. And that, of course, is compressed air. There's a particular one that I like. It comes in a small canister called, it's called the blow-off duster. You can get it for five bucks. It's really cheap, uh, over at crazypc.com. And um, it just works really well. It comes in a little colorful canister. And uh, it just, you know, makes sure that you keep dust particles off of the guts of your Mac so that it stays running nice and clean. Number four would be one of two T-shirts that I picked out, which is the There's No Place Like 127.0.0.1 T-shirt, available from thinky.com for $17. And you're probably wondering, what the heck is 127.0.0.1? Now, for those of you who don't understand what that means automatically, that means that is your computer's IP address for home, uh, meaning so there's no place like home. So that's you know your computer's self-assigned IP address to refer to itself. So it's a really geeky joke, haha. I think it's funny, um, but you know you can check that out. That's over at ThinkGeek as well. And one last one, uh, number five in my favorite geek gifts. Uh, would be the I'm blogging this t-shirt. It's just a dark t-shirt. It says I'm blogging this right across the front. So if you're a blogger like me, you've got your own blog or you know somebody who is and you know they're always joking that they're going to blog it. Well, now you can give them a t-shirt that says so and they can look extra geeky as well. Anyway, and that's 17 bucks over at ThinkGeek. Uh, so like I said, we'll have all these linked up on the show notes and so you can check them out and let me know what maybe some other geek gifts that I missed out on. Um, so just drop me an email and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, I'd like to change gears a little bit right now, and we're going to be going to an interview that I did earlier with our own lab director, Jim Galbraith, and he is a really interesting guy. He lives in our lab, which is basically just a big room, and we've got all the new stuff, you know, piled around, and, you know, the new G5s, the dual cores, of course, and, and, you know, just all kinds of, he's got crates and crates of, you know, RAM and firewire cables and all kinds of things that you can think of just piling around, and he's just waiting to test them, and whenever new stuff comes into Macworld, he's the one who gets his hands on it first, before all the other editors, before, you know, Jen Berger, our reviews editor, and some of the other folks, even me, um, <laughs> 
as, uh, and so Jim is the one who really puts the things through their paces and does the benchmark tests. And when, you know, you pick up Macworld and you see those big charts that have those benchmark tests, you know, with Photoshop and with different games and with, you know, rendering or whatever, he's the one who's doing it. And he spends countless hours and we thank him for it. And, you know, he's the one who really get crunches those hard numbers for us. So we really appreciate that. So we're going to cut now to an interview that I did with Jim Galbraith, and we're going to talk about how it is that he does what he does and what he thinks of the new Ducors and some of the other uh, new hardware additions from Apple. I'm here with Macworld's lab director, Jim Galbraith, and we're here to talk about some of the new computers that have come out in just the recent weeks, and we're going to start off with the new dual-core Power Mac G5s. And um, Jim, why don't you first tell us a little bit about what the process of going into testing a new machine like this, how you do that? Okay, well, first off, we get the system in. Uh, we do a clean install, and uh, basically we have one base system that uh, we use to, uh, to install the, uh, all the applications that we use. We just do about 12 different applications, and uh, we have a suite of tests that we run them through. Um, everything from Microsoft Word to startup times to uh, uh, Adobe Photoshop to iTunes, iMovie, uh, Cinema 4D XL, and some games. We run them all. We run the same tests on all systems, and we come up with a score. And uh, that score is based on a Mac Mini, a 1.25 gigahertz Mac Mini is the 100 system, and so everything kind of goes up from there. So do you base each, I mean, how do you, do you run each test multiple times? Do you take an average? Do you just do it once? How does it work? Each test is run three times, unless there's a variation, then we run it more times. But generally it's three times, then we take the average of that, and then uh, we combine that, all those individual scores into one speed mark score, uh, which is, you know, an average of all the time that it took to do those tests. Now you said you use Microsoft Word and iMovie and some other ones. Why do you pick those? Why not other things? Uh, most of the ones we do, it's kind of a general use. Uh, kind of the idea is to give you an idea of what, it, you're gonna, what it's going to feel like when you're using it um, and how fast it is at a range of applications and a range of tasks. We also break out in our benchmarks uh, more specific things. If you're a Photoshop uh, user, you're going to be more interested in that than how long it takes to scroll through a long Microsoft Word document. But Speedmark is really just your basic overall performance measurement. Now, is there anything particularly surprising about this new dual core? Uh, not surprising. It's going to be interesting. The uh, you know be moving the uh, two processing cores onto one processor chip. Uh, we thought that you know we didn't really know whether that was going to you know, turn into a performance hit or if uh, it was going to be pretty much the same as uh, having dual single-core processors, which is uh, how Apple would do it in the past. So uh, it turns out that uh, there is no performance hit, at least not in the tests that we ran. Uh, we were able to see that uh, the, by the dual-core versus the dual single-core processors turned in relatively the same scores. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how exactly the dual core, the two chips on one chip, is different from two actual physical chips? Previously, uh, Apple would have two processors, and uh, they were both, you know, they both had their own, they both sat on their own uh, silicon, and then they would have uh, their own buses in from uh, main memory, and uh, between them, they would, uh, you know, divvy up the work. Now, the new, uh, the new way, they are on one chip, 
uh, but with two cores. And so now they're sharing a memory bus. But uh, at the same time, Apple is, uh, has changed the memory, so now it's using DDR2 memory, which is a little bit faster. They've also increased the amount up to 16 gigabytes of RAM that you can put in these Power Macs. And uh, between uh, these uh, changes, we just didn't see any problem sharing that, uh, sharing that bus. Do programs have to be rewritten in a certain way? Like I know when, when you know, the Power Mac chip came out, they had, a lot of programmers had to rewrite their stuff for that chip. With this new dual-core architecture, does that change how software is written? It, it appears right now that if you go to the About This Mac, the Mac thinks it has two processors in it, and uh, it's treating everything exactly the same way. And so Photoshop, which could recognize was multi-threaded and could recognize that it had multiple processors, it still works. We'll see about four processors, but uh, so far, no problems. So that's what's coming next, is the two dual-core chips. Right. They're calling it the quad, the quad-core, which is a dual, dual-core chips. So, and that's also going to be running at a faster, the processors will be running faster than any of the, uh, the current lineup now. So we tested a 2 gigahertz dual core and a 2.3 gigahertz dual core. The 2.5 gigahertz quad core is coming sometime in November. Jim, it seems like that with these high-end dual core machines and upcoming now with the quad core, it seems to me like it's almost overkill in a way. Like, I mean, you know, I'm somebody who is just a regular user. I'm not using Photoshop a lot. I'm not using any kind of really processor-intensive applications. Who are these machines really useful for? What kinds of people? Just in terms of, you know, standard overall use, uh, everyone would get a performance benefit by using this, even if you're only using Microsoft Word or surfing the Internet or whatever it is you're doing. It could actually, you know, save you some minutes out of your day. That said, the iMacs, you know, it seems that Apple is kind of splitting it up a little bit more. They're, they're making more of a clear division between their professional and their, uh, you know, more consumer lines. So uh, the iMac fits right there on the, you know, it's a perfect consumer model. But if you're doing video and you need to put in a, you know, a PCI card, for example, PCI Express now, you really have no choice except to go for a Power Mac. And that's, and if you want to expand in any way, that's, uh, the Power Macs are expandable and have this, you know, 16 gigabyte, you know, maximum. I have not met anyone who's put in 16 gigabytes of RAM or needed it, but someone out there might need it. And it's just nice to know you can, I guess. When you get these kind of kind of machines, you know, in the lab, you're the first one here at Macworld who usually gets to play with these and really turn them inside out and, you know, have them do every possible thing that they could do. Do you ever want to do anything like really crazy like that? Like just max it out to 16 gigs just to see what it would do and just to see, you know, what would happen? I would. Unfortunately, because I'm the first person to get them, other people are usually breathing down my neck. And so I don't usually have the time or the uh, luxury of just, you know, getting to play with it. I'm really kind of all business, you know, for the first 24 hours I have this system just to uh, really kind of crank out these numbers to get the readers their information as soon as possible. Uh, we do do, from time to time, we, we do uh, special stories where we talk about upgrading and, you know, what a memory upgrade would buy you and what a graphics card uh, upgrade could buy you. And so those are always fun because then we get to do, you know, kind of crazy tasks that we would never do generally on systems that are just been, you know, uh, hot-rotted beyond what we usually get to play with. 
Do you ever have, I mean, I know you said that you have the other, other editors breathing down your neck to, to get the data and, you know, test these things as well. But are there ever, you know, if you have an extra couple hours, is there like a, a secret test that you use maybe once in a while that doesn't ever get published? Is there some, you know, some other special thing that maybe doesn't actually, you know, you don't write about or that the other editors maybe don't know about that you'd like to do just to check it out? Maybe not. I don't know. No. No, no. I mean, it's really, it's only... Uh, I kind of uh, only do this stuff uh, when necessary, and uh, when it's uh, if you know something with these this quad core, I'm sure we're going to be trying to figure out ways to really put it to the test. That you know, because I have a feeling that some of our regular tests are just not going to phase it at all. So we're going to have to come up with some new things to throw at it, and that could be fun. So what? How do you come up with new tests? Um, well, you know, basically. We talk to other folks, you know, some of our writers, you know, a lot of our writers are video pros and, you know, they, they put their machines, you know, through more uh, rigorous uh, testing than, than we might uh, on some of these things since we're kind of doing the general users. Uh, we're really concerned with the general users and uh, how they're going to be uh, affected by these, uh, by these new product lines. I, we talk to some of our authors and we get, you know, what should we do to really, you know, see if this thing can, you know, break under pressure or whatever? And uh, then we will come up with some new tests. Do you test things like, or have you thought about testing things in the future, for example, like heat output or noise output or things like that that aren't really measured in the actual performance but nonetheless affect the usability of the machine? Uh, there have been discussions, but we have not included any so far. We did, you know, some of our authors will do a, a little bit of that, you know, do, you know, take a decibel reader and see if they can, uh, see if they, the new, you know, nothing has ever been quite as loud as those G4 wind tunnel towers, but, you know, uh, we, some of our authors will do those kinds of tests. Have you been, has there anything from this new round of, of updates, um, upgrades, I should say, that has really surprised you quieter, faster, you know, something you didn't expect? No, and for uh, you know, really, the uh, well, you know, the iMacs and the uh, PowerBooks, most of those, uh, most of the changes of those have been pretty small. It's really this dual core thing was that was the real interesting, uh, was a real interesting new feature, and just uh, was the thing that we were really wondering about. You know, if it was a good move or a bad move, and it seems to be an, a good move so far. Do you feel like this is just going to be the dual cores are, are going to have the, like, you know, because it's the first generation of dual cores that it will take people a while to really take advantage of the extra power, or is that something that's already built into that, you know, existing older programs can even take advantage of that new architecture? Uh, it remains to be seen, but it, from from what we've seen so far with the, uh, the first dual cores, that the quad core should work on just about everything. Uh, that is multi-threaded, and uh, you know, if you look at a couple of our scores here, uh, a dual core, a dual core two gigahertz Power Mac versus a single core uh, 1.9 gigahertz iMac. Uh, when you do say something like a, was one that was oh yeah, this is a Cinema 4D XL 3D scene render, and it's almost exactly twice as fast to do it with the dual core system. And you know, Cinema 4D didn't know this dual core thing was coming any any more than we did. So uh, it just works, and uh, I think uh, users will be able to get benefit out of it right out of the box. Great, thanks a lot, Jim. All right, thank you.
Well, that about wraps up our show for November the 2nd. That's uh, show number 13 down in the books. We're going to be doing our next show in two weeks on Automator. We've got a great feature in this month's issue of Macworld on Automator and how you can use it and what it does. And, and we've also got some great Automator scripts that you can try out also, again, on the virtual CD. That's available on page six. There's a special URL down in the bottom left corner of the page. So if you've got your magazine in front of you, you can check that out, and the virtual CD is up on the web for you to peruse. So um, please do send me comments. Please send me email comments, cfaravar at macworld.com. Please send me audio comments. Just record yourself. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of mic you have. You know, WAV file, MP3 file, doesn't matter. Please send them along. I would love to get that going. Please comment in the webpage, the podcasting name webpage, where, you know, we have all the podcasts linked up there, and there's a comments link down at the bottom. Please, you know, just uh, keep talking to me. It's a conversation, really, and um, I would hope that more of you would correspond with me so I can keep these podcasts getting better and better. Uh, so look out for, in two weeks, the next podcast on Automator. Signing off from San Francisco. This is Sarus Faravar with the Macworld Podcast.